We're going to talk today about power, as Mary has already alluded. And uh, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about various scenarios in which we see an exertion of power. Um, I thought maybe we could have a little exercise that sees how many superheroes we could name from DC or Marvel. And when we've sorted all that out, we can ask, well, which of them are the most powerful? I mean, and what does it really mean to be a powerful person? Um, I, I was brought back to a particular situation when our kids were growing up. And that is that one of, one of the boys or a delegation from the boys came to Annabeth and said, concerning Alicia, who was um, regularly known as the queen of the family, um, they would they, they ask Annabeth the question, do we have to do everything that Alicia tells us? And Annabeth said, no. Well, why would you think that? And they said, well, she says we have to. And what was happening there was a little struggle around power. Um, and also it had to do with authority. The question was, does she have the authority to tell us what to do? Because at the moment she has the power, and uh, we had to kind of reconfigure the little structure in our family around authority and power. I was reminded as well this week as I saw something that a friend of, of mine posted on Facebook of his son, Adam. So I remember Adam all the way through his life. We knew Adam as a little boy when they were living in Toronto. And he was a gregarious little guy with a great big smile. Then I, I saw him probably the next time after several years when I, I got to visit the family in Namibia. And Adam was growing up and by then he was a teenager. Well. Since then, the family has moved back to the States, and Adam uh, joined the Marine Corps. And on Facebook this week, I saw the picture that his dad, Mick, had posted of Adam as a drill sergeant in the Marine Corps. Do you know he was terrifying? And I remember that little boy with a big smile. And as I looked at him, this imposing figure in his, his uniform and the, the, this, this stern look on his face, I was, I was taken both kind of with the, the, the sense of being terrified by this, but also in awe of this, right? Of how much Adam has accomplished and how well he has done. And again, it was, it was just a little composite of power and authority. So inside the Marine Corps, there is a very strict sense of authority and power is, is almost raw, I guess, as we would think of all of that. So today, we're, we're going back to the a series of ideas that we had concerning the um, promises uh, that are given through natural revelation. And just so you're understanding here, my, my display has just flipped completely on me. So what I see on my screen is what I wish you could see, and what you see on your screen is what I wish I could see. So... If you can get that scrambled right around in your head, we'll be fine. I'm going to try to do one more little flip like this and see what happens. Probably not the right thing, but we'll see what happens anyway. And you're going, what in the world are you showing that ridiculous picture for anyway? Well, no, we're going to have to go with it that way. So you're going to see my notes as uh, we work our way through this talk here this morning. What I want to suggest to you is that there are these, these two notions 
that are at work in in the whole lineup of the 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 evidence is the signposts broken though they be of the existence of god and as we climb up and we we kind of are climbing up i I think you may be seeing that as we go topic by topic we come to the human experience of power and the sense that in us there is this innate struggle about power, maybe desire for power, sometimes fear of power, but it's something that makes us wonder about why we have the experience of power. Why, why would we want it? Why would we fear it? And what does it mean? Well, we can't talk about power without talking about authority as well. And the two are twins, and they're, they're properly separated from each other in, in Mary's story of David and Goliath. And I hope that today we can kind of feel our way through this as well as we think about authority and power. And the two words that help me understand what they mean, independent of each other and then together, are the words that belong in law enforcement, Right. Um, I I remember a favorite TV show that we had was Law and Order, and I don't I don't know if you watched that show, but it was you know back when you watched shows one week at a time because that that's all you could find that they would show up on whatever night it was. Now you could watch seasons of Law and Order, but my favorite part of this TV show was when it was going to commercial. There was this ominous voice. You may remember it. It said, "Law and Order." We'll be right back. And I thought, that's, that's almost prophetic, isn't it? Law and order will be right back. If you're following the um, running up to the U.S. elections, one of the interesting comments this week is that um, Biden doesn't have to work so hard on the COVID issue. He has to work hard on the law and order issue. So how relevant is what we're talking about? when in this presidential election they're saying, but the law and order in the U.S. is the thing that is uppermost in people's minds, in voters' minds. Law and order will be right back, said the TV show. I come to the practice of law enforcement, and along with the badge that a police officer has, he also has a gun. I don't want to talk about guns very much, and you don't want me to talk about guns very much, but... The point of these two is that the badge signifies the authority that the police officer has, and the gun signifies the power that the police officer has. So there are two good images to help us understand what these things are. And as I compare the two, the two comments that I would make, um, you'll see on the left hand of your screen, well, the right hand of your screen, and then you'll move to the left hand of your screen, crazy as this is, I'll suggest to you that power without authority is anarchy. So we're trying to figure out power and authority, two separate entities, twins, and what happens if you have one without the other? If you have power without authority, you have anarchy. If you have authority without power, we might say you've got frailty. So the police officer needs the authority and the power, And in all of our structures of power and relationships with one another related to power, we need to know that before there is power, there must always be authority. 
power that is exerted without authority is dangerous. Um, at, at its most foolish state, it is anarchy to say there, there's no right or wrong, there are no standards, there's no standard setter. Um, you can just use power. And if you can just use power without authority, you can do what you want, you can have what you want, and you can place yourself and everyone near you properly in danger. Let me take you to a few scripture passages that would help get our eyes on what God's revelation to us is concerning authority and power, and we'll bring it full circle to, to our lives as well. Here's a situation when there's a person who comes to Jesus, and he says, I, I have a son, and he's, he's, he has this, this disability, this, this chronic disability, and I want you to heal him. And Jesus suggests that he will come to the centurion's home. And what the centurion says back to Jesus, Jesus is astonished about. In fact, after the, the centurion talks to him, Jesus says, I've never seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. Well, what was it that he saw? The centurion said to Jesus, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to this one, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. So this man had a notion that Jesus could do something. He needed Jesus to act in power. He believed that Jesus had the power to heal his son. But he said, it's, it's not necessary for you even to go. I know that you have authority um, by which you can simply order that this would happen and it would be done. And Jesus says, that, that's a phenomenal understanding. The next passage that I want to talk about that, again, hopefully helps us understand all of this, is Jesus, when he's mobilizing his followers, it says, Jesus now called the twelve and gave them authority and power to deal with all the demons and cure diseases. He commissioned them to preach the good news of God's kingdom and heal the sick. Again, the two words are in the same, the same site. He gave his disciples authority and power. It's important that he gave them both. And we're going to see that Jesus parses out um, authority any time that he is trying to teach or to school his followers about power. The third reference that I want to bring you to is after um, kind of a desperate experience that the disciples had where they tried to do what Jesus had given them authority to do. So they tried to cast out a demon, and they couldn't do it. Um, I've been in some situations where demons run amok, and we in, in the West are we kind of look askance at this notion that, that there are demons here, there, and everywhere. There are, and sometimes they, they are very, very evident, most in, in, in cultures other than ours, and I think there are reasons for that. Um, we live in a society where a, a good Ghanaian friend of mine once said, you don't experience demons because they don't need to bug you here because there are already principalities 
that are governing your lives. The demons don't need to bother with you. His view was that there were sort of um, archdemons, I'll talk about that in just a moment, who have kind of a, a culture under their spell. And so demons don't need to manifest themselves. They don't need to be evident um, as though they have to do the work of the devil because these principalities, um, Kofi would have said, are already reigning over um, Western culture in particular. But these disciples came back to Jesus and they said, we can't get rid of this demon. And it was a matter of authority and power because Jesus had already given them authority and power, in fact, to cast out demons and to heal the sick. So after they arrived back home, his disciples cornered Jesus and asked, why couldn't we throw the demon out? He answered, there's no way to get this kind of demon except by prayer. Now what is Jesus talking about there? He has given them authority and power. They come back and say that we have not had the power to get rid of this demon. And by inference, we understand that what was lacking for them was their understanding of authority. And as we try to grow in our prayer lives, one of the things that is very important for us to, to, to grasp is that we have authority out of which we can pray powerful prayers. We don't pray powerful prayers by, by the strength of our intensity, um, of, of co coaxing God or convincing God, we, we pray effective prayers when we understand the authority on which we can rest our confidence in, in praying prayers. So Jesus said, you were not able to cast out this demon because this kind only comes forward by prayer, and some versions says by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is a means by which we access our authority. So clearly Jesus is wanting them to understand that they've not understood their authority. They've not grasped their authority. And had they grasped it, they would have been able to cast out the demons. So by inference, they needed to be more prayerful. They needed to engage themselves in the, the kind of territory in which power can spiritually be exerted. The last passage I will take you to is the, the most familiar one in, in all of this. In Matthew 28, where Jesus gives the Great Commission, he says this, All authority, so we get it, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said, I've been given all authority. In, in, in what realm would we, would we say Jesus has been given authority? He, he doesn't narrow it down. He simply says, I've been given authority. We take this to be a claim on Jesus' part that he has all authority of every kind. That when we anticipate the day in which he is acknowledged as King of kings and Lord of lords, when every knee bows and every tongue confesses, that's not just in an ecclesiastical sort of way, not just in a religious sort of way, but that actually in Christ, everything is summed up. All authority, anywhere, of any kind, at any time. 
will be summed up under the, the sovereign rule of Jesus as he is acknowledged to be all that he always has been as a creator God, um, but whose um, authority was, was undermined, was, was challenged, was maybe even stolen by the one that challenged God at the very beginning when Lucifer said, I will ascend and I will, I will, I will. At the end of time, we're told that all authority will be summed up in Jesus. And before he leaves his time with his disciples, he says to them, now's the time. Already all authority has been given to me. Something must have happened in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we know, that gave him authority, that acknowledged his proper authority. And so everything that the disciples were called to do was grounded in the authority that had been given to Jesus. So in a sense, before he ascended, the Lord Jesus gave the badge to all of his disciples. And then he gave them their guns. And he said, you have the badge, you have the gun. I've been given all authority. Now all power is available to you. Let me just make some observations today as we consider these two subjects of power and authority. And again, from Ephesians 4, verse 12, we, we have Paul saying to us, we, we have a struggle, we do, but our struggle is not with flesh and blood. Living this life um, and experiencing and, and having success in its struggles is not the sum total of ordinary human things. But the struggle that we are having is a spiritual struggle. So once again, how this augurs um, as part of natural theology is to say, when we have conflict, when we have struggles, when we um, have power issues, they are not at their root just human issues. They are at their root, surely something more profound than ordinary animals trying to coexist together, trying to feed together and, or compete together for, for what they need. There, there's something deeper than all of this. And natural theologians would say, yeah, it, it's just one of those signposts that points forward and has us wonder what it is that we need to know and what we need to believe and practice. So Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When we look at, at the troubles of our world, I defy anyone to tell me that they're just human struggles. They, they are so much more enormous they're so dark sometimes in, in their roots and origins. They're so destructive in their effect that we have to say it's, it's not just a lack of human ingenuity or a lack of human planning or it's not just that humans aren't quite evolved to the right state in which they would exist and coexist more happily. We have to say no, that there's a darker part of it. There's something sinister in all of it. There's something sinister in crime. There's something sinister in, in tragedy. There's something sinister in, in sickness. 
Um, and Paul says, yeah, you're right. The, the struggle that you have is not just human. It's against a whole panoply of spiritual phenomena. And the words that Paul uses are really striking. He says, our struggles are against the rulers. And here, if, if this is some kind of a hierarchy, it's, it's quite staggering. Because he doesn't begin with authorities. He begins with something else that, that actually means something like these um, you, you sort of stellar, top-ranking beings or phenomena. And Paul says, before we even talk about where there is authority and power and so on, we need to understand that there are these sort of principalities, there are, there are these governing entities, and out of them issue the various struggles of, of our human lives and our Christian lives. After he has identified these rulers, he says our struggles against authorities and against powers, the powers of this dark world. It's interesting that the, the word for authority that, that Paul uses here is the typical one that we see over and over and over. It's the one that Jesus used a few times. But the word here that Paul uses for powers is a different word. It's a, a word that, that has to do with the operation of darkness in, in a worldly sense. It's, it's, it's a world-bound or an earth-bound exertion of strength. Um, it, it certainly is, is a synonym for the other word for power, but it's a striking word because it's, it, it again has its, its dark um, kind of a nuance that we wouldn't need to grasp if we understand what the Apostle is saying to us. He says it's against these powers of the dark world, given authority by these entities that are um, over and above all, and because of it, there's this working of what he calls spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The heavenly realms just means everywhere around us. So when we watch what's happening in our world, if we try to interpret it based on the simple environment of the world, we haven't reached it. Because the struggle that's going on the dynamics of the human life, the dynamics of human societies, the, the dynamics of human history have to do with something that is played out in, in, in a realm and realms that are far beyond what are observed and what are recorded. And so this is an ominous passage, really, but it, it also gives us insight, and it gives us a reason to ask a question as well, um, are these evidence that the real story is not just us? The real story is a God who is beyond us and who finally then must have the meaning for the lives that, that we live. I want to just make some, some claims today, really, about uh, what we understand about the nature of authority and power. So coming from what we've, we've just seen in, in this passage and the various other ones, um, authority is linked to spirituality. All, all authority is linked to spirituality. So authority is not just the order of things or the order of people or, or you know, who's the president and who's then the vice president or 
who has the rank, who has the, who's the general and who's the private. It's not only about that. While it is sometimes about that, everything has to do with spirituality. We are whole beings. We are not just behaviors. We are not just um, those that do what we do. Everything that we do is moored back into the things that are beyond us that have to do with God and have to do with our origin and with our destiny. Second observation is that authority is also linked to truth. And so as we go back, again, you know, stepping back down over the, the evidences from natural revelation, uh, tr- truth is fundamental. And when we see truth compromised, we can suspect that authority is also going to be compromised. And, and that's why, as we said last week, it is so frightening that we're in a day when we could even countenance the notion of alternative facts or alternative truth, that there are different versions of the truth. is is a chipping away at what will ultimately allow us to understand what has authority and wasn't, what doesn't have authority. So authority is, is um, inextricably linked to truth. Um, we need to always ask the question, what is true and what is false? What is right and what is wrong? And when someone is claiming authority or citing authority, we're always well within our rights to say, well, by whose authority do you say this is true? That, that was what the, the Pharisees were perplexed with Jesus about. When he said what he said, they didn't debate, first of all, um, whether what he said was right or wrong. They, they, they would put the question to him, by whose authority do you say this? Or by whose authority do you claim this? Or by whose authority do you do this? And so it would be, be pulled back, sort of a string would pull it back to to the notion of truth. Who are you? Again, what is truth? Said Pilate to Jesus. Uh, Jesus claimed that he came to bring the truth. And then he also claimed that he had authority. And, and the Pharisees were outraged by this sort of pair of claims that Jesus, apparently to them, was claiming to know truth that was in in contravention of what they thought was true, and that he clearly was claiming to be God. He was claiming to have authority. So when he talked about being the Son of God, they didn't wonder about what he meant by that mechanically. They knew that his claim to be the Son of God was a truth claim, and only out of that truth could he claim authority that would have come from the fact that he was God himself as he was claiming the third thing is that authority is linked to delegation. When there is authority, it sometimes is no good if it's not delegated. Not delegated. Uh, who told you this is true? Who told you to do this? By whose order did this happen? And, and so on. Authority, and we can explore this, I think, in, in many, many areas of our lives, But wherever there is authority, it probably is being delegated to someone for its exercise. So yesterday, two times, I said, by the authority 
vested in me by the province of Ontario. I pronounce you husband and wife. Now, I have no ability to make people husbands and wives. It's ridiculous. What? It's nonsense, isn't it? The only way that I can claim to be doing something effectual is to reach back to authority and say, the province has authority. And if we go farther back than that, we would say that the province has authority only as that authority is vested in the province by whom? Well, if you go back far enough, the claim of Christianity is that it is by God. Romans 13 says there's no government anywhere that God has not been instigated in, or that has not been instigated by God or by, by God's working. So we need to obey the government. Again, how relevant is this? Do I like wearing this mask? No, but the government said to. Do we like um, making sure that we're spread apart from one another? No, but the government says we should. So what would we be if we defied this? We'd be anarchists. So it, it's, it's not a simple little thing. It's not a, well, that's discomfort. That, that's not... You know, it, it shouldn't be that way. No, it shouldn't be that way. And, and the government, our government knows that as well, right? But they have authority, and that authority would be delegated on down to those who need to empower behavior or to put in, in um, effect the behavior that is required by the authority. So authority is linked to delegation. In our Christian lives, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, so you, and there's the delegation. So Jesus, when he sent his disciples out, said, all authority has been given to me, um, now go and heal the sick and cast out demons. So they went and they tried to do what he told them to do, and they found that they had a problem. They, couldn't, they didn't have the power, so something was wrong. But Jesus was delegating responsibility to them. The last thing to say about this is that authority is linked to role. Um, in where, wherever we are in you know, the configuration of our lives and our activities, it, it would be a, a, a wise thing, I'm sure, just to regularly wonder about what the authority structure is in which I am placed and whose role is what in that authority? So what is my role will be answered, first of all, by the question, well, who's my boss? Mom, do, do we have to do everything Alicia tells us? No. Why? Because she says we do. Well, let's talk about that. She doesn't have the authority, so she can't delegate it. And your role is not to do what she tells you to do. Everything changed from that day forward. Now, Alicia now has her own little Evie, who is the queen of her family, and pretty soon, Isaiah is gonna ask mom, do I have to keep doing what Evie tells me to do, even though she's younger? She came by honestly this defiant little, no, I won't go there. Sorry if Alicia's watching. Authority is related to role. What is my role, and how does my role relate to authority? Um, my friend Adam in, in the Marine Corps knows exactly what his role is. He's a drill sergeant. 
And you've seen the caricature, you've seen the movies, you've seen the drop and give me a hundred because that's what I heard coming from the screen when I looked at that austere, uniformed young man, right? Authority always will have a way for delegation to take place and always there will be roles that fit properly um, linked back to authority. So what is my role and how willing am I to be concerning the role that is given to me? We, we live in a very individualistic society. Um, we, by nature and, and just by culture around us, resist authority. We, we say, why about everything? We shake our fists at many, many things, including these masks, right? Uh, and why? Because there's something in, in us as well that, that knows that there is authority, but knows of the struggle of power um, and would exert its power as, as we live into our fallenness to challenge authority. Um, th that's exactly what Satan did from the very beginning. Uh, when the authority of God's word, his commands to Adam and Eve, was being put into effect, and Eve had the temptation about the fruit. Remember the dialogue that went on was, was Satan saying to her, did God really say? And, and by inference, did God really mean? And that's silly. He only said not to because he's afraid you'll become like him. And, and it, it's the whole challenge from the bottom up that says, who gives him the authority to tell you how to put power, how to put motion into your life? And then he, from the very beginning, had been the one who challenged all of God's authority and said, I will ascend higher. I will climb higher than he ever has been. And so has come um, the struggle of um, this epic drama of the, the cosmic fight between good and evil, between God and Satan. So at, at one of its pinnacles, no pun intended, the devil said to Jesus, um, do you see all of these kingdoms? I'll give them to you. Now Jesus should have, we would think, spoken back to him and said, you don't have them to give. But apparently he did. So in the interim, before the incredibly important work of Christ, authority in this world did belong to Satan. He, he was able to promise and deliver the kingdoms of this world to Jesus. Now Jesus answered him back um, by going to the proper authority, which was the word of God. And, and so again, we, we learn uh, how... All of this plays out against, um, as I say, the, the panoply of the spiritual phenomena that are around us. Where do we bring this back to home for us? I was thinking, as I wondered about that, about the, the role that we have and the, the place that we have to, to call on authority. Sometimes when, when you, you imagine some sort of uh, disturbance among, among fellows, uh, 
maybe it's in a company and uh, there, there's some policy that's being put into place in, in a company and the, maybe at the, in the lunch table, people are sitting around saying, why do we have to do this? Who, who said we have to do this? And it just so happens that the boss's son is at the table. And you know what, what the, the Trump comment would be? My dad said so. Because even at that point, everything else kind of gets blurred. It doesn't matter whether you are manager and, or assistant manager or something. If, if the son at the table says, well, my dad said so, then that's the end of the discussion, right? Do you know that that's what we are able to say by prerogative? Because the role that we've been given is not the role of a servant. In fact, explicitly not the role of a servant. Jesus said, I've not called you servants. I've called you friends. Um, Jesus said, when I leave, you're going to do the same things that I've done and even greater things because I'm going to the Father. Why? Well, we've talked about this several times because what Jesus has done has brought us into a role that is not the role of workers or servants, but it's the role of a son. Every one of us, um, excuse the, the gender specificity, every one of us is a son. Every one of us is a full-grown heir, a full-grown child, son or daughter of God himself. And the authority that we can appeal to is the authority of sonship. Where we can say, because he is my father, this is the role that I have. This is the prerogative that I have. When we think about our prayer lives, once again, we're, we're not um, praying for something to happen against the will of the person who could or would, would deny it to us. We're talking to our father about his business. We're talking to our father about his authority, and, and the joy of the role that we have as we now understand that we are full-grown adopted children, not adopted in the Western sense, but adopted in the son-placing sense, that we are full-grown children of God himself. The Father himself loves you, says Jesus. So but between where we started the service at and where we are now, we've gone from David and Goliath to power and authority. And, and David understood authority. And what he accomplished was huge. Which one of us would take on the giant? Or whatever giant is in our pathway, right? But David saw the giant, and in behind the giant, he saw that God's glory, God's kingdom, God's authority was at stake. And David said, why does this guy have the right to call down the army of the true God, of the living God? And so he uh, boldly faced the giant, and he had, a he had power that did not match Goliath's power. You get that? It, it, in no way could his power be compared to Goliath's. In no way can your power be compared to competitors, comp competing powers around you, right? the competition. But the authority that David had was huge. 
the, the authority left Goliath's authority in, in the dust, along with his head and maybe his shield bearer, right? Authority matters. But if there is authority, it has implications. And we get to live into those implications. And we get to do it with the promise of Jesus that he's going to be with us while all of this is played out because all authority has been given to him in the whole world, in all of time. So we follow him with delight.